Welcome to the Chronically Aware. This podcast covers a variety of conditions, but it is not intended to diagnose or recommend treatment for listeners. For correct diagnosis and treatment, make sure that you take your questions to a licensed medical professional in your area. Please know that people can go through hardships with their conditions, so be mindful that hearing about these conditions and hardships might be a trigger for you as you listen. Additionally, not everybody's chronic condition is the same. Many people experience conditions differently. Again, if you have any questions about your health, please see your medical professionals in your area. Thank you again and enjoy the show. Welcome to Chronically Aware, and I am so excited about our first guest, Jody Jacobson, who actually gave the suggestion of the name for this podcast. So it is awesome to have her here and for her chance to talk about her diagnosis and treatment and educate on um, chronic severe asthma. And so I'm going to give her a chance to do that. But first, Jody, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, so I am um, I am a mom. I am an anthropologist. I am um, I, I live here in Central Texas, but I've moved throughout the southeast. And it's not just you know my own chronic illnesses that have made me interested in this, but I am also a mom to a medically complex child with lots of other chronic conditions as well. So this is a project very special to my heart. Thank you. And thank you so much of that for the awesome suggestion of the name too. I really appreciate that. And I love that you're my first guest on here. <laughs> thank you in all of those ways. So this format is going to ask about sort of diagnosis and treatment and management of conditions. So first I would like for you to define for our audience today, what your diagnosis is. So my diagnosis is severe persistent asthma. And it's actually not just severe persistent asthma, but um, I, it's kind of like a cough variant asthma, which isn't really probably the common one that most people in the populace who know about asthma really understand. Okay. So it's a, it's a severe cough one is what I'm hearing in that. Is that... Well, it's, it's, it. so there, there are ways, there are different kinds, and this is kind of gets to some of the other questions that we would talk about later, but there are different kinds of asthma. And so there are asthmatics who um, are not cough variant, um, who they have wheezing and they have other issues. Um, cough variants tend to be more originally um, exercise induced and environmental induced. So, you know, strong, like cigarette smoke or uh, strong chemicals or, you know, cedar. cedar. Well, and, it, it, and cedar does a lot more allergy, but even with cedar, just because there can be so much pollen in the air. So like we, we're a little bit more sensitive to air quality in general, um, to ozone changes and those kind of things. And it's just the expression of our asthma. We end up coughing a lot more with that. So, but um, the severe persistent part is really when you have mild asthma, you have asthma that is, you know, you can do a treatment here and there, and maybe you have a hard time now and then, um, but you have times when you are better and controlled and you don't need meds. You can maybe go off meds. 
persistent is you basically cannot exist without medication, you know, at even having a sense of control and um, severe persistent is sometimes even with all those meds, you, you're not controlled in your, the level of meds that you're on to get any semblance of normal um, are pretty significant. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's something that it's, it's just not going to go away and it's not really going to get better. Um, unlike somebody who has mild or moderate asthma. So. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I hear that this requires treatment, finding the right treatment and ongoing treatment in that answer. So can I ask you how you got to diagnosis? Because there's typically a journey that someone goes on when they're diagnosed with a chronic condition. So what was that journey like for you? It was actually a very long journey. Um, and, and part of it is because people don't start off as a severe asthmatic, right? So if they really start off mild and it's very hard to identify some of those early stages, um, I should have had warning bells because I had, my brother had childhood asthma that he outgrew out of, but there's also kind of more of a teen and adult onset asthma that comes on, which is what kind of hit me. And, you know, I just noticed suddenly my doctor started noticing that, you know, I'm getting sick. I get bronchitis a lot. You know, my freshman year of college, I, there was almost not a week that didn't go by that I didn't end up with bronchitis, you know, that I had some kind of respiratory bug. I was catching all of them. But I just chalked it up to, you know, I'm in dorm living, it's a germ factory, I'm just being exposed to everything. Um, and I'd always been athletic and played sports. And, you know, I'd noticed that sometimes I, like, if I was playing too hard, I'd cough a little bit. Um, my sophomore year, I was playing um, on a women's club soccer team. And one of the, I was one of the co-founders of it. And the other co-founder, she'd hear me and she's like, you know, that cough afterwards, she's like, are you asthmatic? And I was like, what do you mean? she was, she recognized the same symptoms in me that I was missing. Cause you know, I'd play and then I'd get this hacking cough and, you know, she, I'd switch out and step out with somebody. Um, and she's like, you probably should talk to a doctor about it. You know, so the doctors weren't catching it when I was coming in, it was somebody else with the condition who caught it. Um, they did kind of, I went into the doctor and they're like, eh, it's mild. here, here's an inhaler, you know, do it right before you exercise and you'll be fine. And that was it. Um, until I hit grad school. And when I hit grad school, the doctor noticed, you know, so I'm in my mid twenties noticed that, you know, Hey, you're again, you're in a lot for respiratory viruses and it's always going to bronchitis every single time. It seems like nothing is getting better with you. Um, I don't think just having an inhaler is working for you. Um, let's try some additional meds. So, um, you know, they started to put me on, I think Advair was big right then, you know, and so I was kind of, I think probably 25 when they put me on Advair and it helped a lot and it made a big difference in my life and it was great. And it was, I think, you know, I was on whatever the lowest dose discus there was and I was doing fine. Um, got married and then kept ticking up, you know, um, came to Texas and, um, just found that it, I was struggling a lot, the, you know, it's more bronchitis, more, uh, 
uh, more breathing allergens issues. probably. In well, and that that probably didn't help because one of my the, one of my pre existing allergens was mold, and there was a lot more mold here, surprisingly, when it was dry. Um, and I, I, you know, and I actually w- I was one of those people who was cedar immune for the first six or seven years, so I was fine. That wasn't really hitting me. Apparently, I'm allergic to elm and ash, though. And so, like February mm-hmm. and March, every year February and March, high mold, high elm, high ash. But you know, they my um, primary care physician, because I was still seeing a primary care physician, not a specialist, um, you know, up to my Advair, you know, when I would get sick to try to help me get over it, give me a little, a little two month dose to get over it. But notice that wasn't working. So up me to, you know, the next level permanently. Um, and yet it still kept progressing. And so she finally sent me to a specialist who you know, did x-rays and did allergy tests. I was like, yes, you're allergic to all these wonderful things. And um, x-rays show reactive airway disease. And, you know, yeah. And, and and I was, I would have to go on steroids every now and then because I wouldn't be breathing. And I hated steroids. I still hate steroids whenever I have to be on them with passion. A lot of people have that like love, hate, like yes. I have all the energy in the world, but I can't sleep or function. So right. it's, I can, I can breathe and I can have energy, but, uh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm raging and mean and can't sleep and wake all night. And, you know, it's, um, but you know, he kept kind of noticing I was progressing, but I was felt like I'd kind of stabilized a little bit, um, on the care that he had. And then the insurance dumped my medication what insurance does yes and had a wonderful experimentation where they were like well let's try simbacor and mm-hmm. my body said that simbacor does not have all the same meds i've does in it it has fewer meds and i they but my, they wouldn't let me try something stronger and so i had a severe downturn for two months straight where i could not function or do anything mm-hmm. and my doctor had to document that before they could get the insurance to pay for Dolera, which had a, you know, a little bit more kick to it than, Sim- than Simbacore. And, um, you know, so I went on the Dolera and that seemed to work for a while, but again, it kept progressing and progressing and progressing over time until I, you know, every time I was stepping up more meds, stepping up more meds, like, what can you do? Like, you know, they would ch- send me to check to make sure there wasn't something else going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like something esophageal or something that was because because it, since it was cough variant and um, there wasn't really anything else going on. It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it took. This is where I kind of get into one of the the other things I mentioned that you should probably ask is, you know, don't don't settle for a doctor who's not helping you. Like if you're yeah. if you're if they're trying stuff but they're not pushing hard enough or they're like, well, let's see how this goes or let's wait a while or let's give this six months and see if once we get over your bad time, if it's doing better. Um, right. That's not, and okay you're like, it's, just, not working. it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I reached this max, you know, I was on, you know, pretty much every med that you could be on. Um, he upped me to Brio Elipta and that, that worked for a while, then it wasn't enough. And then put me on this other mess. And I can't remember the name for but it's basically the same kind of thing that's in Trilogy. Trilogy is like this three-step medicine that's got the two things in Brio Elipta and the thing that was in that other med all together. And um, I'm, I'm on Lucas and, uh, and you know, daily allergy meds and, um, 
and uh, Flonase, daily Flonase and daily Azelastin, which is another, you know, allergy Anahistamine. Anahistamine med. Um, And, and um, I'm sure I'm leaving a medicine out, but, you know, I basically was maxing out on my meds and, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And he kept saying, well, let, maybe we should see if you can do biologics. And he, you know, he did run blood work, but he was like, eh, well, my eosinophil counts were, were already low. So like most of the biologics at that time were to treat when people would have their high eosinophil. But part of the problem is my asthma was be, is cough variant and it's not, it's more as while allergies don't make it great, they're not my primary trigger. My primary triggers are environmental and exercise and, you know, other things. Um, meanwhile, um, you know, he kept putting me off and putting me off on getting on the biologics, on the biologics Mm -hmm. and 2019 came and I got sick and I took a downturn and I stayed down. Mm. Nothing could get me back up. Mm. Steroids, high dose steroids. I went on four rounds of steroids within like a two month period that weren't popping me back up. Um, so hard. And it just, it wasn't, it wasn't doing great around that time. Uh, he, he announced he, he would be retiring at the end of the year that year. And so I kept, you know, I was trying everything I could. Um, and he was like, let's do one more, more blood count check to see the, no, it's not working. And I transferred to another doctor when he retired. And that doctor was like, no, this is not enough. We, you're, you're, you are on steroids every two months you know you are not so this was nothing's in control I had been years since my asthma met like they make you do the little checklist to see if your asthma is in control and it'd probably been four or five years since I'd had a check where it was in control technically was this an allergist was this an immunologist allergist asthma doctor who was and that's why I think part of the problem was was my initial asthma doctor was an allergy asthma specialist, but I think he was a little bit more focused on the allergy side. Mm-hmm. Um, this wonderful doctor I've switched to now is allergy asthma immunology. And mm-hmm. um, I think she has a lot more understanding of that asthma and the immunology and the connections. And, um, and she was like, this is not good enough. And she fought, she was like, even though your blood count's not there, it's not good enough. Let's get you on biologic. And she got me on biologic shots which helped and I was doing a little better. Like I could actually walk down the steps in my own house without having an attack though. If I had to go back up a second or third time, I I'd try to avoid it because I knew I would have an attack. And this is the thing. It's like, I, I, I would walk across a room and have an attack. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't go to the bathroom without having an asthma attack. That's not normal. Like, you know, you just walk across right. the room, walk into the kitchen um, and that's how and I you're coughing to, a ton and struggling to coughing. breathe. And that, that and really like does a lot of damage to your body too. all that coughing. It's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of other quality of life issues. Um, you can imagine a mom of three. Yes. <laughs> constantly yeah. coughing, throw in all those issues. Yes. Um, you know, and that's the thing is it, you know, it, it, it really would affect that quality of life. Um, and, and, you know, I'd had times where I'd have downturns like that for a short period where I couldn't walk across the room, but it'd be like after I had RSV or pneumonia and it would be for like a couple weeks or a month and then I'd be okay. Mm-hmm. 
this was kind of ongoing for four years. Yeah. And, 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 and once I got on those biologics, it did help. Um, I did improve. Um, but I still wasn't going to be able to do any exercise or go hike or, you know, I could go to work sometimes, you know, like without having, you know, but there would still be days, you know, it was not, it was hard to function. Um, and, um, she signed me up then a brand new FDA release drug test fire hit the market, uh, December, 2021. And, you know, in January of 2022, she heard about it and she started the process. They were like, well, you're already on a biologic. You don't need this one. And, but this one was to treat people like me who the eosinophil ones weren't really designed for. Um, and so when you it's a biologic. I think of like Humira. I think of like some of the ones I've seen. So what are biologics for asthmatics? Well, and so really they are uh, targeted medicines that go in. And so they, they will attach into um, the part that's being, so like when you're doing the allergic stuff with the eosinophil, it basically kind of goes in and puts a damper on it and stops your body from creating additional eosinophils. Um, so it really kind of goes okay. in and hits that immune system directly because that eosinophil is an allergen immune response. Um, the test buyer is different because it does do that, but what it get, does is it goes straight to the epithelial cells and um, attacks the mechanism that makes them inflame. Oh, wow. And so it helps get the epithelial wow. cells that are within the lung and the bronchi to like not over inflame and to like calm down and take a step back. So I will That's awesome. still start to flare and I'll have flares. I'll get the inflammation response and I'll have this flare, but I won't have a downturn because the biologics then go in after that flare and kind of come in and, 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 and work. And I'm not biochemist, so I'm not sure. You're good. It sounds like they damp, it dampens that inflammatory response. It so it doesn't just keep going. Right. It keeps it from, cause like basically once it starts, it kind of get my body, it would just kind of get out of control and overdo itself. And so I, I can't tell you the number of times I, you know, I'll go into a doctor and they're like, these are the worst lungs I've ever heard. I'm like, I know. Mm. Um, mm. And it's just, and it's like, and, and that would sometimes be me on a good day and they'd be, they mm. wouldn't believe how bad my lungs sounded. Um, but this like helps dampen that. And so, but I still can't go off the other meds. Like I notice when I haven't taken the other meds because they all work differently. Um, and so. So you still need like a maintenance asthma yeah. med. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still on one, one med has three meds in it. And then I have three other. So I'm still on basically six daily medications. Okay. Or the asthma. All for asthma. All for asthma. Okay. So I think of it like uh, rescue inhaler, sort of that like first one that maybe you were talking about of people that have like mild asthma and yes. can use it before exercise or at certain times. And then I think of like maintenance meds, um, more like the Brio. I can't say all yeah, the, the names. Brio, the Brio, and the Advair, yes. Delara, Simbacor. Those are all maintenance. Okay. Yeah. And then I think, of, and then now I'm learning about the biologics, which actually help to go in and um, tamper the 
ESNFL. I don't know if I said that right. Yeah. Uh, ESNFL or the inflammatory response in your case. Okay. And that's one of the things too, is like, I've, you know, I've wound up with pneumonia a couple of times, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and even with pneumonia shot and I just got it revised because I just had pneumonia again. So like, eh, it's probably winding Mm out. Um, but you know, it, even with that, those shots, you know, even with that, I mean, every time there's an illness, you know, and that's why I can't go off the other meds because I'm still going to be very sensitive with those illnesses. I'm still, I, I know when there's an air, bad air quality day, I can always yeah. tell a hundred percent. I know suddenly I'm not breathing very well and I'm having this, you know, this flare. So, so what helps you most during those days? really quiet and calm. Um, and, and not, I mean, I, I have a, so I have a nebulizer, which is like aerosolized albuterol. That's, it works better than, um, the rescue inhaler because it just gets in deeper in the lungs. You know, the rescue inhalers are great, but they don't penetrate quite as far as easily. Um, and you know, those help. Um, and that's the, that's the other thing is, you know, I do have ADA accommodations for work, Um, because there are days where I can't, I can't walk even, even with these meds that I, you know, I can't walk across a hall, you know, that, and I have to be tied into those nebulizers. Um, the good news is now it's for a shorter period. It's not, I don't hit two month long (laughs) downturn where I need steroids to try to come out of it. You know, um, I am able to kind of rebound now, but I am still, um, I do still have attacks and days where, um, even on Monday night, um, Monday night, I had reached a point where I was like, nope, I can't go up and downstairs. I'm stuck. I'm staying here. Cause if I just even try to even go downstairs, I'll have a coughing fit, much less coming back up. And that's really intense. Yep. And so it's just, yeah. it's the layering on. And that's the thing is like, there, there's different levels for different people. And so some people like my, I have children who are, have asthma and, you know, one has mild, one has moderate. And so one's just got that albuterol inhaler when needed. And the other one right. has a maintenance med, but it's a low, one of the lower dose, lowest level maintenance meds with, you know, the, and they are discus and yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and they're fine. And, you know, unless, you know, they get sick or, you know, something, you know, it's most of the time they're doing okay. Um, and so that's just the thing is that there are just, different levels to asthma and how it affects. Um, and I know, yeah, yeah. I think you're doing a beautiful job explaining it. This is making so much sense as you put it out there. It really is. Um, and for you, it didn't start in childhood. It was more in the teens and twenties. And then that intelligent coach who was like, Hmm, I recognize that cough. And it sounds like the one I have sort of prompting you on a diagnosis journey and, and the treatment journey. Yep. Yes. And that's the thing is like, cause my brother's was more classic wheezing, right? So my parents didn't even kind of recognize it cause it was different, you know, from what, what his exposure was. And I think that's one of the things too, like, so one of the misnomers is like people think of wheezing and they think like, you're like, <clears throat> and it's, it's not wheezing is really like, it's a, it's in the lungs. It's not something that you're breathing. And so wheezing to me, like when I'm wheezing, because even though cough variant rarely has wheezing, when you have it as bad as I do, you develop wheezing. Um, 
and it's it's like an accordion like if you think about like when you would like hold grass between your your fingers and blow into it and make that little sound with the grass with the air passing by where it's too small and constricted and it makes that little sound or you think about how an accordion sounds when the air is passing through it um, I used to joke it was accordion lung, but that's what the the wheezing was to me is I can, I could physically hear that sound that whistling inside of your lungs, inside of my lungs as yeah. the air's not, it's just the, the area is so constricted that the air passing through is, it's so inflamed that when the air passes through, it kind of makes the sound. And that's really more what the wheezing is. It's not gasping um, for breath. And when I'm really having a bad attack and I'm coughing and I try to breathe in, it's more like I'm drowning because I can't, there's the, the area where the air would pass through is closing up. So there's no way to really inhale the air in. It's not really going anywhere. Because Um, of how it's constricting in there. So you can't, you can't actually breathe in when you've got your lungs constricting at the same time. And so I, I always say sometimes um, having, you know, it's almost, it almost feels more like, and especially when you're not actively coughing, but you're just trying to sit there and quietly breathe. Um, because that's one of the other things, asthma attacks, they look different in different people. Not everybody looks the same. Um, and, but for me, like, it's almost like I'm drowning more. Like, it's like, like, if you think of like, if you had water on your lungs and you feel like you couldn't like really breathe in, cause there'd be like heavy something there. It's, it's, yeah. it's more like that. Like, I, I feel like, um, like if you want how you, if like, if you're underwater and you thought, I wonder if I could inhale and take a breath, you know, oh. it's that, you know, you yeah. can't, you know, um, you can't. no. And, you know, maybe you're lucky and you have like a little, uh, scuba gear and you got a little small or a little straw and you can suddenly like inhale and you're like, <gasps> you know, when you can get it. It, that's more like you just have this re- reaction. You ask when I, what do I do when I'm having a bad day? I don't want to, like, I couldn't have a conversation like this. I couldn't laugh. Yeah. I couldn't watch a funny show. Um, I just have to sit and not talk. And that's why they tell you a lot of times to watch for, for warning signs for people with asthma. If they are unable to talk, that's because they can't breathe. So they can't, really talk um yeah they can't actually get they can't get the words out because their lungs are constricted and so no air is moving in or and and it's just you know and and they might or they might be able to get a little bit of air but they need to focus that on that and not on talking you know and so you you sit there quietly a lot of times I'm more just as apt to be quiet extra Mm. quiet when I'm having an asthma attack just because I'm sitting there struggling to breathe, or you might feel like you feel like these little vibrations, you know, in your chest. And so when you're trying, um, you're, you're, you're trying to not make for ones like me, I'm trying to not cough because sometimes that feels worse. <laughs> and, that might feel, yeah. Right. And so you sit there like, and you just, you're fighting these vibrations and you're focused on that and not focused on anything else that's around you. And, and, and so you're so, just you know, struggling to breathe and it can mm-hmm. actually be more quiet than, than a full-blown coughing, gasping for right. breath attack. Which was one of the things that I liked that you kind of put out there in the questions and preparing for this was um, 
what do you notice is different in like how this is portrayed in the media versus mm-hmm. experience? And that's the thing. It always annoys me because always in the media, you show somebody stop and they're more gasping for breath. Like <laughs> I've never seen an asthmatic do that ever. Okay. Um, and then they do this inhaler and one, you know, they put their mouth on it with, you know, which eh, they actually want you kind of spaced out so you can inhale the full dose a little bit, but um, they do it. And then they're suddenly breathing fine. It takes about five minutes for that to really kind of take effect. Um, and it's not like an instantaneous kind of thing. It has to work through your system and you're not just like, okay, I'm good to go. And if you've gotten to the point- You need a minute. You need a minute and you should stop and rest. Um, and you know, they always show like people go starting to have one and then they're like, oh no, I'm fine without it. No, you're not. You're not. If you're, you know, breathing like that, you're, you're not, but it's, I think the media always portrays it more as like looking like you're out of breath and it's not, I mean, granted the difference in how much, how I'm breathing when I hike up a hill, when my asthma is controlled versus not, I mean, I could go up on a bad air quality day when I was healthy and be completely out of breath and sound awful and look like I was just out of shape. Struggling. Yeah. Yeah. I could go up the next week, same exact shape, good air quality day and boom, pop up at like nothing. So it's not like there's not some of that out of breathness, but that's not the attack itself. Um, And the attack itself where you're going to probably treat yourself is not, it's just not how it's portrayed. Um, One of the things you can do though, if somebody is mild or even moderate, if they don't have their inhaler, and I had to do this recently, um, I was volunteering as a parent volunteer chaperone at a school event and a child went into an asthma attack and they were, he didn't have his, his inhaler right on him. And so they were trying to get one and they were trying to get the nurse over there. And luckily he was paired with me and thank goodness. Yeah. I, you know, one of the biggest things is honestly getting calm, getting Mm -hmm. relaxed, getting your mind off, you know, talking, you know, asking questions like, do you have a dog, you know, get them Thinking of something else besides something the asthma else. attack that's occurring. Because it gets worse. Stress makes it worse. So if you start mm-hmm. freaking out about your asthma attack, and I've been there, you start freaking yeah. out because I've been like my husband out of town, two small kids, and suddenly I'm right. having an asthma attack. And I'm like, what if I need to go to the hospital? And then that right. makes it worse. Yeah. Uh, I was so, thinking of how this could be paired with anxiety so much mm-hmm. because of that, the not being able to breathe piece of it just naturally seems like it would trigger anxiety. And so part of it is sort of getting at that, the child that's struggling to breathe, let's get your mind off of it a second. So you mm-hmm. don't go into anxious mode and so that we can help your body to relax a little bit, to start to breathe is what I hear. And just, you know, just to kind of take it calm, try to do relaxation, to do things to kind of help um, help ease that moment and then help ease that, that breathing while you're waiting. You still need the inhaler, but that gives it time to get there. Um, you know, with severe ones, I mean, and and there's, there's other things like hot caffeine and things like that, that kind of can kind of sometimes help in the moment. Um, with severe ones, you really need to get help as quickly as you can. I mean, you do those things and you, how do you recognize that? How do you recognize that severe ones? Honestly, if you, you're going to notice like somebody is, 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 has either 
stopped and is not moving at all. And if you mm-hmm. know that they're asthmatic, that's great. If you don't know, watch them and, and focus in on their chest area. And is it, are they taking normal breaths or are they taking really short, shallow breaths? Yeah. Um, because they can't take, because you can't take it. Like you'd be like, you can't like take a big, like you you're can't not get be able it to take a deep, deep breath. Um, so look for those shorter kind of shallow breaths. Um, and you know, also like if somebody is coughing like mad and can't stop and is like doing this, <laughs> like as they're coughing, that's a full blown attack. They need help immediately. You know? Yeah. That's respiratory. Is it respiratory distress yes. kind of moment? Is that yes. what you would term that? Yeah. And, and, you know, if they have an inhaler, that's great. But sometimes the thing is it'll come on you and you're like, now I need my inhaler, but maybe which is in my in car. Back- yeah. It's yeah. in my car or it's in my backpack across the room. And I can't go across the room right now to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, inhalers are great, but they're, they don't fit in pockets easily. You know, um, mm-hmm. I always keep mine in my purse, have one in the car. I've, you know, I I've got them scattered about, um, but that's so smart. You know, <laughs> have them everywhere that you could reach for them, right? One in the bedroom, yeah. you know, like and it just, you know, have them wherever you can. Um, one downstairs, you know, we you know, we always have have them scattered around. But when you're like at work, somebody might know that, you know, somebody may not know where your inhaler is. Um, it's always a good plan to kind of let somebody know generally. And I know the person next door to me in my office, she knows where my inhaler is. Yeah. So she can get it just in case you have that. And yeah. I imagine that, the, that you've learned this by going through some scary rough moments is what I'm imagining. Is that accurate? Yes. yes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, it, and that's the thing is having to teach your children when they're two about right. 911, because they may have to call and trying to explain to them how to recognize when they need to call for you um, mm-hmm. and how to operate your phone and, you know, you had to get into it to, to be able to do what they need to do. Um, it's a safety plan. Like mm-hmm. we have to do weather safety drills, right? Yeah. It's a safety plan. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's the thing I think too, is like, you know, my kids, the, the good thing is like my family, my immediate family recognizes, they know, they understand, they know this very, they know that there's times when I, I can't move. Um, I don't think, I don't think, uh, other family and friends outside the family really understand that. Like, and it's a roller coaster. There's times I can go and I can be almost normal. Yeah. And then I'm not. And um, people would not be able to know, oh, she really is struggling with asthma right, right? now if they don't know you and don't know that you have yeah. this chronic condition. Well, and even my parents, I don't think quite grasp how bad it because they they remember when it was mild when I was younger and those kind of things and so like we we've gone to visit when I was in a flare and you know my dad's like hey you want to come help me do this I'm like I can't you know I just I I literally and you know my husband pops up and is like I'll help you know because he knows that I can't but he's there daily seeing it daily and I do think in a way that's it's been it's been rough for my family because they have to do there's times when I can't do much more than sit for that four year time, sit on my butt in my room and do hardly anything. My husband's taken on the cooking, the cleaning, the kids, you know, are my legs running things up and down the stairs that I need, um, bringing me meals, you know, 
when I'm, when, because there are times when I'm completely debilitated. I can't. Right. And I don't think people think of asthma and they think of somebody who's debilitated. You know, they think of somebody who maybe can't go run a mile, but I don't think they think of someone who's essentially almost bedridden um, because they can't. And that you need others to pick up the task that you're unable to do in that time. How would you say that has impacted kind of in good and bad ways with your family? I think the good ways is they have a lot of empathy, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, they definitely have a lot of understanding for people's limitations and their, and their health. Um, and, um, they understand like how to advocate for themselves and their health by watching me, you know, go through that and that need. And, you know, it makes them more helpful for others, you know, especially if they see things, other people struggling, they, you know, they jump to it. They don't even wait for somebody to ask or see, they just kind of jump to being helpful. Um, and that's cause they've seen somebody they love. Um, it's also been positive because we've talked about like why you don't smoke, why you don't, you know, I, I right. haven't been, why you take care of your body and your lungs. Right. Yeah. Because like, you don't want to lose that ability to breathe. Right. You want to be, you know, and so I think that's really helped um, them with those ways. So there's been positive. The negative is I feel like they've missed out on some things because I couldn't go do them. We used to take, you know, hikes all the time. And I had about a five-year span where I couldn't really go take hikes with my kids, all, you know, Um, and And that is hard. It's hard when you see families and you want to be able to go do that stuff and your body's just not cooperating. Yeah. And, and there's times when I'm like, I really want to do this, but I can't do this, you know? And, and, and so they've, they've missed out on some things. Um, and you know, they've, they've seen that capacity and they've had extra load put on them helping me, you know, and they should be kids and carefree and, you know, not have to have some of that load. So I, yes. I guess that's kind of the good and the bad, you know, but they've, they've, you, they've turned into wonderful human beings. You wish they didn't have to worry about these things, but it has made them that much more compassion, compassionate yes. and empathetic and understanding that people struggle with various conditions. Right. And that you can't always see it. I mean, like I get out of, out of a car, people don't see a disability. Mm-hmm. It's an invisible one. You don't see it. You don't know it. You don't know that it's going to take me a super long time to w- walk across a parking lot to get to the store that like having to park, you know, way at the back is very tough because that means that's further I have to traverse when I can't breathe, you know? Um, and it's, it's, I, I did mention one time to, I haven't mentioned it to my new asthma specialist, but to my, my old asthma specialist about getting a handicap pass you know, because I was struggling so much. much. And he was like, well, it's really difficult to do for asthma. They usually won't accept it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't pursue it, but I don't know. Like, it's one of those things I could maybe advocated more for myself. Um, But, you know, I kind of like let it drop, you know, um, because, and even then I would feel guilty. Like I wouldn't use it except like when I wasn't clear, but I would still feel guilty. And that's the thing. It's like, I think a lot of times too, we, when you're chronically ill and it's an invisible illness, you always feel like people think you're making it up or you're a hypochondriac or surely it's not that bad. Or why can't you do this? You know, everybody else can do this. Um, and I know my, my children with chronic illnesses struggle with the same thing where you always want think people don't believe you that you're right. 
feel as bad as you do or that you're as sick as you do. You know your loved ones, your immediate loved ones who see it, know it. It's the people outside your fold, you know. That may not, they don't see it and they don't know it. And they look at you and think you're okay and just are like, why can't you do what I can do? Why can't you do what everyone else can do? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they'll look at you and if they, especially, you know, I will look somewhat healthy, but it doesn't mean I am healthy. And sometimes because it's an up and down disease, sometimes I can do stuff Mm -hmm. and then sometimes I can't. And it's really hard to explain it. Like, well, you did this before. Why can't you do it now? Mm -hmm. And, you know. And people struggle with that. They're, it's also, I think, hard when you have chronic illness and you have to cancel and you have to take care of yourself in the face of something for people to understand, oh, she has a serious condition and her asthma is flaring and she really needs to focus on right. managing her breathing. Yes. And I do have some good friends who are outside who like, like I, I do a lot of volunteering with, with theater at school and there's, you know, I, there are some who would hear me coughing and see me trying to push through it and they're like, please go sit down. Right. Oh, that's so good. You know, Those are so valuable have, people, right? Yeah. I do have some people who are like, we know you're trying to help. Go take care of yourself, please. <laughs> Just for a second. That's okay. You know? And so there are some wonderful people in my life who, who do that. I, but you know, they're, there are a lot of others who it's just because they don't see it and they don't know it. You know, it's hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole reason for this podcast to help people understand that. Right. I think what you said about getting the handicap tag, like on a day you're having a severe flare, it may take every single thing you have inside of you to get Mm -hmm. in and get what's needed. Um, medicine wise, even if you're just going in for medicine that you need to continue functioning for the rest of the day and people don't realize, okay, she looks totally fine, but she really needs that. So that invisible part of it is so real. It it reminds me of um, wheelchairs for people who are able to walk, but don't have the energy or strength to always walk. And so, yeah. And that's even, so like when I was getting accommodations at work, um, when I first submitted for it with very documented doctor, you know, this is this person and, and it's asthma is listed as a disability, mm-hmm. you know, the inability to breathe allows accommodations. And, um, at first went to just the main, uh, ADA office. And when it went to the first main ADA office, the response back I got was, well, we, we don't see why you would need, cause I requested to work from home. And on flare days or or um, bad air quality days to work from home if I could. And then like on days we had meetings up the hill, they'll be allowed a virtual option rather than going up yes. the hill uh, yes. to attend a meeting if I was having a struggling day. And, you know, their thought was, well, you know, you could, you know, we could let you have a late start and you could have more frequent breaks during the day if you needed to for treatment. Like there's times that I'm taking a nebulizer not just every four hours, but every two hours, sometimes on doctor's recommendation, most of the time it's every four, but you know, there's sometimes where the doctor, because of me, you know, they know, just go ahead and do it every two. We'd be doing that in the hospital. Right. I can't avoid the hospital and help you be able to manage this at home and in your life. Right. Yes. And, and so, and, you know, and, and, and the first, so the first thing I was like, a break is not going to do me like, you know, and there, you know, I, I'm in a place where parking is sometimes not close to the building. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not easy. It got referred up, you know, to the medical professional who oversees it, who signed off on it immediately because 
as the medical professional, they understood, they understand. you know, yeah. that, and it said what, this isn't just a mild asthma accommodation I need. This is severe persistent asthma, which definitely requires something different. Um, you know, and that, and that's the thing is like, one of the questions, you know, is I think a lot of times people don't understand is that you, you may need absences when you're in a flare without having to go into the doctor. Like your doctor knows, like this is an ongoing chronic yes. condition. Do you need to go into the doctor every three days to get a note? Every single time during every a rough time. air quality time. Right. Yeah. I mean, when we can get a week span of bad air quality days, you know, and right. if, I, if, if I'm knocked down and I can't work or, you know, there may be times when, you know, I, I've never, even with it, I've never burned through all my sick and vacation leave. Right. So I, you know, even with, with that need, but you get a lot of stress, I think in the workplace sometimes to not take that leave right. or the to pressure account. around that. Right. Yeah. Or you get, you get called out for high absences because you're struggling with health, but you haven't exceeded the leave time that you get. So why are right. you being called out for, you know, high absences for your health, you know? And so I think, you know, having that kind of flexibility and, you know, of course the documentation, I would encourage anybody with asthma, even mild asthma to start getting documentation going um, because you could have a day, an illness where you're just not bouncing back, you know, and you're needing additional treatment for prolonged time. And, um, you know, think about the things that trigger you and everybody's different. Like some, some are allergy asthma and they, they really are going to have a, you know, cyclical time where it's only going to be that time of year where they're, it may get really bad because that's when their allergies are out. Um, or if they've had an interaction, you know, I think, um, thinking about those things and, you know, and it's going to be different for everybody. And that's the thing is, you know, it should be individualized and don't settle. If you request an accommodation and your doctor says you need this accommodate and talk it over with your doctor about, make sure they understand my doctor wanted to meet with me, have a separate appointment with me to, so she could fully understand my work and my job. So she could best request the accommodations that, that I would help support you. That would help. You know, my you. head started going, Oh my gosh, there are probably so many accommodations needed for like young children with PE, with, um, with going class to class in high school with, um, rough air quality days affecting any of those. And with going to college, there's oftentimes you walk um, long distances between buildings um, and ways that this could impact all of those different stages of life and the work ones that you're talking about too. Yeah. And and that's yeah. the thing is like, you know, all the way through, you know, make sure. And, and you know, the, and I think the really restrictive part a lot of times is, you know, I would get asked for doctor's notes. So I would have to go to the doctor knowing what, you know, was going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, the, I guess the one good thing is now that it's kind of formalized, I don't have to get those doctor's notes every time, you know, it's kind of like it's documented and it's on the record. Um, you would but, jump through the hoops and now it's a little less hoop jumping, but right, yeah, you had right. to do that. Yeah. And, and so I think that the thing is, is, you know, like having, you know, just having that kind of documented you know, you're not getting special permission. You're not making things up. You're not faking an illness to skip out on cat. And that's the problem is I think our right. society lends itself towards assuming that you're trying to get out of something more than I'm actually 
struggling, especially when sometimes you are fine, you know, when it's a a chronic condition that flares and it doesn't matter what, you know, it can be a gastrointestinal condition that flares, you're fine for two weeks and then it's flaring and you're not fine. And, you know, it's, you know, no matter what those conditions are, when they flare, you're not fine and you need those accommodations. So sometimes it's not like you don't need it constant. Like, I think there's more of an understanding for constant accommodation. Right. Um, than the ones that flare and happen occasionally. It's, we have made such inroads in terms of, um, of getting ADA protections for conditions in terms of getting appropriate accommodations. There's been so many inroads in education and support for the medical world in those ways. And yet we still have not made as many inroads with changing people's perceptions of having the compassion and understanding for a condition like this and how it can impact somebody's life. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode series. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. closing, I again want to remind people that this podcast was intended to educate about the wishes and needs of the individuals that bravely shared their medical stories. This podcast was not intended to diagnose or recommend treatment for listeners. Please know that each person experiences conditions in their own ways, and for any testing, diagnosis, and or treatment recommendations, see a licensed medical health care provider in your area. The creator of this podcast is a therapist. However, this podcast is not intended to provide therapeutic testing, diagnosis, and or treatment options, and the creator of this podcast is not operating as your therapist in creating these episodes. For therapeutic support, Find a local licensed professional in your area. And finally, this podcast is listener supported. Please see the notes section for a link to PayPal and other ways to give so that this podcast can grow and support even more people in having their voices heard. Thank you and have a beautiful day.